Hello, you're listening to the Killer Kind Podcast, and I'm your host, Stephanie Miller, as always. I hope everyone has had a great couple of weeks, and I won't bore you guys with a long intro here, but I wanted to say thank you for the kind words about the last episode and everyone who continues to stop me in public, say how much they love the podcast, and just all of your support online as well. Knowing that people listen and enjoy the episodes is what keeps me going, so thank you guys so much. Quick reminder, I still have a few podcast stickers left. If you're interested, you can DM the Instagram page or Facebook page as well and leave a comment on today's episode and let me know if you want one and I'll be sure to get it to you. With that said, let's jump in to today's episode. Today, we are talking about the disappearance turned murder of a 24-year-old Southern Belle. She was a beautiful person inside and out. Everyone in the community knew her and loved her. So when she goes missing while out on her afternoon run, a massive search party of almost 200 people gathered together less than just a few hours afterwards. It took two agonizing days to find her. And when everyone finds out the truth, they're completely shocked and it leaves a community in outrage. So without further ado, let's dive into the murder of Sydney. Sutherland. Sydney Claire Sutherland was born on September 18, 1995. She was the youngest of three siblings, having two older brothers, Tyler and Sam. The Sutherland siblings, along with their parents, Dion and Maggie, grew up in the tiny town of Grubbs, Arkansas. And when I say tiny, I mean a very tiny town. It's basically all farmland with a few houses scattered around. And to give you an idea, the population in this town was around three to 400 people. Although it seems that that the nearby town of Tuckerman was where all of their stores and schools were located. So they had kind of a little bit bigger city to go to. But either way, in this area of Arkansas, where everyone kind of went to the same grocery store, the same school, and even the same church. Everyone knew everyone. Plus, it was a huge farming town with open land. There was little to no crime. There were more chances of getting bit by a snake out on a run than running into a criminal. Our girl Sydney today, she was stunning. To me, she looked like a complete definition Southern Belle. Big blonde hair and an equally big personality. She was beauty and brains, graduating from Tuckerman High School in 2014 as an outstanding senior. She always had the heart for taking care of people, so she knew she wanted to be a nurse. She attended Arkansas State University in Newport right after high school, where she earned her LPN license and she continued her college career and graduated from the University of Arkansas Community College at Batesville in December 2019, where she became a registered nurse. While she was earning her RN, she worked at the Unity Health Harris Medical Center in Newport. She was loved by her coworkers and patients. She was described as having a compassionate nature and genuine spirit. She was known to love exercising, listening to audiobooks, playing with her dogs, shopping, and she loved the color pink. She was a girly girl with a passion for helping others and taking care of herself as well. 
Sydney once said, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And that's what she did as a nurse. She found her purpose in life and she was sharing it with everyone she knew. Sydney was extremely close with her family, especially her two nieces that loved and admired her just as much as she did them. One of her older brothers said she loved being an aunt and she was a great one. That's who she was. They called her Aunt Sassy and everyone said she was definitely sassy. She seemed like someone you want to be friends with, honestly. She was funny, girly, but sassy and strong. On Tuesday, August 18th, 2020, Sydney, her family, and her longtime boyfriend, Alex, headed home from Destin, Florida after a much-needed vacation. The beach was one of Sydney's favorite vacations, but after arriving home late, the family was exhausted. But it was back to work as usual for most of the family. The following day, Alex's dad came and picked him up from work from the house he and Sydney shared. Sydney actually had the day off on this day, so, but that didn't keep her from getting up and doing her normal routine. Like I said, Sydney loved to work out and take care of herself, so she met with her trainer that morning and did an hour-long workout. Then, around 2 p.m., she texted her boyfriend and told him she was going for a run on County Road 41, which was a long dirt road, and she took the same route pretty much every time. She would start at her home on Highway 18, Then she would head down Jackson Road 41 for a few miles. Then she would turn around and come back the same way she came. So, Sydney left the house at about 2.30 p.m. There is a snapshot from the security camera on the outside of her house showing her unloading her car that morning. She was seen wearing a white tank top, black shorts, and her favorite pink tennis shoes. Her boyfriend Alex said from the time she left, the two were Snapchatting each other. He said she sent him a Snapchat picture of the gravel road, and that was it. There was no words or anything. It was just the picture of the road. Sydney's runs never lasted more than an hour, so Alex thought that by about 3.15, she should be finishing up her run. So he tried calling his girlfriend, and to his surprise, she didn't answer. He tried texting her a few times over the next hour. He started to get a little bit worried. However, he knew he got off at 5 o'clock, so he figured he'd be able to get in touch with her or find her back at their house after that, after he got home. When he got back to their house, he saw that Sydney's car was still in the driveway. And after going inside, there was no sign of Sydney. However, her purse was still on the counter. Alex said that's when he knew something was wrong, when he saw her purse on the counter that day because he knew she had never went anywhere without it, except for on her runs. Alex initially called Sydney's mother, Maggie, and asked if she had seen or heard from her, and she had not. So she tries to call her daughter as well. But every phone call made to Sydney was going straight to voicemail. Maggie decided to drive down the road Sydney said she went running on that day to look for her daughter, and she saw no signs of her. After trying everything they could to find Sydney on their own, they knew it was time to call the police for help. So at 7 p.m., Alex and Sydney's family called the Jackson County Police to report a missing person. Sheriff David Lucas got the call about Sydney Sutherland missing persons report. Sheriff Lucas knew Sydney and her family. He knew them pretty well. 
He said he watched her grow up and he knew it was definitely out of character for her to be gone for this long and especially not letting someone know where she was. Lucas said if the family was worried, then so was he. That evening, Sheriff Lucas called in reinforcements from the neighboring towns of Tuckerman, Newport, and Jonesboro. He also called the Newport Department of Corrections, Arkansas State Police, and the FBI. And he called out to the people in the community to find the missing woman. Sydney's boyfriend said it was one of the craziest things he had ever seen. There were over 150 people looking for his girlfriend that night. Shortly after the news broke of Sydney's disappearance, a UBS driver came forward calling to say that he claimed he saw Sydney running down a gravel road earlier that afternoon. He said she was headed south on Jackson County Road 41, just north of the U.S. Highway 67 overpass. And based on that information, investigators knew she was homebound with about a mile and a half to go. But she never made it there. While Sydney's brother Sam and the 150 others were out searching for his sister, Sam received a call from an acquaintance. This guy said his stepson, Quake Llewellyn, told him that he saw Sydney running southbound on the overpass on County Road 41 at around 2.45 p.m. This information provided a point of reference for the search, which was great. The search went on for several hours until around 2 a.m. when the group finally called off the search for the night so they could all get some rest. The search was picked back up at 7 a.m. on that Thursday, the 20th. They searched around the area they knew Sydney was last seen. And to paint the picture for you, there were vehicles lined up and down this rural road and everyone was there out on foot, on ATVs, and even horseback at the time trying to find any shred of evidence leading to Sydney's whereabouts. They organized a grid to search every farm and homestead in the surrounding area with hopes of finding the 24-year-old. On that Thursday, one of the groups from the massive search search party stopped for water and refreshments. Members of the group would offer encouraging words to the family during this time. And it was during this moment that Sydney's mother, Maggie, noticed a big burly farmer named Quake Llewellyn standing under a tree off to the side. He was the guy who claimed to have seen Sydney running that day, and Maggie knew this. So she went over to him and talked to him because Maggie actually knew him. She said that he was a local rice farmer in Grubbs and somebody that Sydney actually went to school with. So she went over and talked to him. She questioned the young farmer about what Sydney was doing when he saw her. All he said was, she was just running. Then the 300-pound man leaned over and hugged Maggie Sutherland, and the conversation was over. Maggie said she walked back over to the group, and she told them that something was odd about that guy. Call it mother's intuition, if you will. She said in a local news interview that she didn't know what it was, but something was off about this guy. Later that night, at around 8.20 p.m., Sydney's cell phone had been found. Sheriff David Lucas said her phone had no damage to it, and it was found about a quarter mile from her home on Highway 67. The following day, Sheriff Lucas held a press conference to discuss what they've been doing to find Sydney. They were able to confirm her cell phone had been found. However, this time, he also states that they are working on some leads, 
that they have, but they aren't able to elaborate on anything because this was an active investigation. That said, the investigation continued. They had cadaver dogs on the ground and helicopters in the air, along with several different law enforcement divisions and members of the community and surrounding communities as well. This continued to be a massive search for the young woman. Different local news channels were at the scene as well, interviewing different people about Sydney and everyone expressed their feelings about the beautiful blonde. One person said she was loved by everyone in the community. And as I mentioned before, everyone knew Sydney. The whole town was in a panic because something like this just did not happen in their small town. The following day, August 21st, the massive group of searchers started at 8.30 a.m. that morning. Maggie said they were out literally on their hands and knees that morning trying to find anything at all of Sydney's or any sign that she had been there. And sure enough, Maggie said she found a bead from one of Sydney's bracelets on County Road 41. She took it to the command center they had set up in the area, and she said Sydney had been there. This was a sign. This was her bead. So finally, there was hope, and it felt like they were closer to finding her daughter. But it was around this time that the investigation would take a dramatic turn. Michael Llewellyn brought his stepson, Quake, up to the Jackson County Police Department that day. Michael told the police that he had a gut feeling that his stepson wasn't telling the whole truth about Sydney's disappearance. Once the two arrived, Quake didn't give them any new information that he already had. He told them that he saw Sydney running that day and he just passed by her. That was it. And so police were a little confused as to what Quake was doing there. Like, why was he at the police station? They didn't understand the possible connection. But Quake and Sydney knew of each other. They went to the same high school. They were never really friends, but they just knew who each other were. I mean, I'm sure when they passed each other in public, it was a nice little smile and wave, that sort of thing. And he knew her just like everyone in the community knew her and vice versa. Now, I'm not sure what led to the search, but police ended up requesting to search Quake's 2019 GMC truck. The Llewellyns allowed the police to do so, and they made a haunting discovery. When examining the truck, investigators noticed a dent on the front of Quake's truck. And after taking a closer look at the dent, they noticed a blonde hair stuck to it. Then they found cracks in the truck's tailgate where they noticed blood and more blonde hairs. After this damning evidence was found, they interviewed Quake Llewellyn officially, and he refused to talk. However, he did hand over his cell phone. His stepfather, Michael, said he had Life360 on his phone that his wife had made him download. And if you're not familiar with the app, it's an app mainly used by families to track each other's locations, mainly for parents to keep track of their teenage kids, or in this case, wives keeping up with their husbands, or vice versa. So this app would have tracked his movements that whole day. The app shows each stop you make, how long it took you to get there, and how long you were there and where you went after. And it also tracks just how fast you were going as well. It's pretty crazy. Officers discovered on Quake's phone that he had been in the vicinity of where they believe Sydney went missing about an hour and a half after they think she disappeared. 
His phone was only about 2.36 miles away from where Sydney's phone was found, which sounds like a far distance. However, you need to keep in mind, this was a very rural area. So two miles were pretty much all farmland. So two, two plus miles between people's houses. So kind of keep that in mind. Now, looking at Life360, they go back to the day Sydney went missing. On that particular day, around 2.30, 2.45, they can see Quake was driving northbound on County Road 41, which is where he claimed to have seen her that day. However, they notice that shortly after going by the overpass, he stops in the middle of the road and turns around. Then he goes about a quarter mile and stops in the middle of the road. He has stopped in that spot for several minutes. Then it shows him turning back around, heading towards Highway 67, and he goes straight to a particular area that's near a wood line. And he's at this location for about 30 minutes. It was at this point that the investigator called one of the law enforcement officers that was helping on the ground search for Sydney and told him to take some guys and go to the area from the Life360 app. He said if Quake did something to Sydney, that's most likely where she'll be. The officer drove to the area and realized it was on one of Quake's rice fields, and there they found a freshly dug grave with a female body inside. Sheriff Lucas was made aware of the discovery, and at 2 p.m. on the 21st, he called Sydney's brother Sam and told him to gather the family and that a body had been found. In an interview with Fox 16 KLRT, Sam said that was one of the hardest trips he had ever had to make in his life, from the overpass to his mom's house to break the news. He said all they had told him was that their body had been discovered, but he knew deep down it was his sister. Due to the state of the body, testing had to be done to identify the deceased woman. But the DNA test confirmed what everyone already knew. It was the missing 24-year-old, Sydney Sutherland. The cause of death was determined to be multiple blunt force injuries, and there were also signs of sexual assault. At 6.40 p.m., Sheriff Lucas made the announcement that a suspect had been arrested and charged with first-degree murder, kidnapping, rape, and abuse of a corpse. The community was outraged as Quake Llewellyn had been responsible for the death of his neighbor, Sydney, someone he went to school with and knew. He was three years older than Sydney, and she had never been anything but nice to him. An affidavit was released on October 16, 2020. It details the investigation and Quake's involvement throughout. It includes a psych evaluation as well, which we'll get into here in a minute, but most importantly, it details a, the statement given by Quake Llewellyn on the day prior to the affidavit's release. It says, quote, they're saying I kidnapped and raped and killed Sidney Sutherland. He recalled he was driving to check the wells and the rice fields that afternoon and saw Sidney walking down the gravel road. He stated that he drove past her and turned around, but upon turning around, he no longer saw her. He said, I guess because the gravel road was still dusty. Explaining he believes she may have crossed the other side of the road and he struck her with his truck. He said, I felt her hit my truck, so I slowed down. He claimed he walked over to Sydney 
and asked if she was okay, but she was not responding, and he believed she was dead. He said to say that at this point I was scared and afraid that I was going to be in trouble for running her over. He stated that he put Sydney's body on the tailgate of his truck to, quote, hide her so he wouldn't be in trouble. He then reportedly drove to a rice field and dug a hole. He said that he took Sydney's clothing off and, quote, tried messing with her a bit, which is disgusting. We know that he raped this poor woman. And to try to say that you just messed with her, like, shut up. The way you even worded that is disgusting and pisses me off. Anyways, when he was asked to clarify what he meant by that, he was advised by his attorneys present not to discuss it further. Quake then indicated that he dug the hole with a shovel that he had in his truck and buried Sydney in the rice field. When asked why he chose this location, he said that he was just, this was just where he was going that day anyways. After burying Sydney, he claimed he went back to work and checked the wells until five or six. So he just went back to work like nothing ever happened. And even worse, after that, he went home, he ate supper, and went to bed. He reported that he did not tell anyone what happened and, quote, just tried to forget about it. He goes on to say that he remembered his father called him that night and asked if he saw Sydney, and he told him that he saw her, but nothing further. He said it had been a normal day prior to, hit, prior to hitting Sydney with his truck, that he had not been experiencing any stressors. He stated that he spoke to an officer briefly on the phone the following day, and he was cooperative. He said he went with his father to the police station the next day because he was the last known person to see Sydney but he was still hoping that he would not be caught. He explained how he agreed to take a polygraph test, but that the investigator ultimately decided not to test him. He remembered that he then decided to confess and provided multiple statements. He acknowledged that he was aware that each of the alleged offenses is against the law, but at the time he struck Sydney with his truck, it was, quote, all just a blur. He added, I knew I didn't kill her on purpose. He denied using any drugs or alcohol on this day of the offense, and he stated that he was not prescribed any medication at this time. And like I mentioned, a psych evaluation was conducted, which is why he was asked these questions. It detailed in the same affidavit, and it explains how nothing in the police reports or his own self-report suggests Mr. Llewellyn was experiencing any symptoms of mental illness such as delusions or hallucinations at the time of the offense. And to summarize, it stated that Quake was in a normal state of mind, stating that his actions following the murder indicated he was capable of acting in a purposeful manner at the time. And basically adding at the end that he was in a normal state of mind before and after the murder, which says a lot. Now, all of what Quake said made it seem like the killing of Sydney was an accident. But during their investigation and when going through his phone, they noticed that Quake recently unfriended Sydney from Facebook. It's unclear how recently, but to me, that seems like he might have been trying to distance himself from Sydney and that maybe he wasn't, this wasn't an accident at all. Maybe he was planning this all along. And then it gets worse for Quake. 
Friends of Quakes would later come forward saying that the 28-year-old used to get in trouble for being a peeping Tom. He was known to peek in windows and watch women change or bathe. And he was known to obsess over women he found attractive. So, was Sydney one of his obsessions? Even though he appeared to be a happily married man? After Quake's confession, his wife Gracie and his mother Carrie came forward claiming to have some security footage they might be interested in. In the footage, from what I can tell, this hasn't been released to the public. I've just heard it described by others. Um, in the footage, officers saw Quake's truck the night before the murder, and there was no sign of a dent in the front of it. But when he got home from work the following day, the dent was there, and he was seen getting out of the truck and examining the dent. After his arrest and the charges against him, Quake surprisingly pleaded not guilty. Now, he had to wait until he could face a judge. The community to say the least, was in an uproar since finding out Quake was responsible because he was a member of this community. He was one of them. He was their neighbor. This was the last person anyone would have suspected. And keep in mind, he, like, assisted in the search efforts. There was, um, I think somebody posted about him being in one of the Find Sydney Facebook groups, really trying to Stay in the investigation. As we all know, we've said this before, killers like to stay close to the crime. And this is exactly what he was doing. This is the textbook definition of what killers do. It's almost like they want to be caught because they're staying too close, but it's just my opinion. Now, because the family, I mean, excuse me, now because the community was in such an uproar for his safety, Quake had to be transferred to a jail in a different county. And he had to wear a bulletproof vest every time he appeared in court, which is kind of funny. I mean, these are these are Southern folks with big guns, so I'm sure they had to keep Quake at a distance from people from this community. Quake's trial was set, and it was announced that the prosecution would be seeking the death penalty, as they should. With fear of receiving the death penalty, though, Quake Llewellyn changed his plea to guilty. In an interview with Oxygen, his attorney said the plea deal was a mercy. Due to the large publicity surrounding the case, he didn't think his client would get a fair trial and that he would ultimately receive the death penalty. So, they decided to enter a plea deal instead. On October 1st, 2021, Quake Llewellyn pleaded guilty to capital murder and rape. As part of the deal, the charges of kidnapping and abuse of a corpse were dropped. This also meant that Quake was not allowed to appeal any court decisions. So although the Sutherlands wanted the 28-year-old to receive the death penalty, there would still be a chance with a trial that he could walk free and be found not guilty. So this was the safest way to ensure he would remain behind bars. At the sentencing hearing, Sydney's family packed the courtroom and all wore pink shirts in honor of her. Maggie Sutherland read an impact statement and spoke directly to Quake. She specifically addressed him saying, Quake, can you even look at me? Can you look me in my eyes? There were reports that claimed that he did look at Maggie as she read her statement. She said, quote, Satan is real. The hands you hugged me with were the same hands you killed my daughter with. She was not yours to take. 
Her father, Dion, spoke as well, and he said, Quake, you're a 300-pound man who hit my 100-pound daughter with your 3,000-pound truck. Sydney's brother Sam had a friend read his statement, and he said because of what he did to his sister, he suffers from insomnia, and he has to live with Sydney's nieces not understanding why Sydney is gone. In the end, Quake Llewellyn was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. This was a bittersweet moment for Sydney's family and her longtime boyfriend, Alex. His mother, Amy, told the Sun News that Sydney was the love of Alex's life, and she was ripped from him. She said for a long time it was hard for him to go home knowing that Sydney wasn't there. After the sentencing, Maggie Sutherland said true justice would only be for Sydney to be here with us today. Sydney was laid to rest on August 28, 2020, just a few weeks shy of her 25th birthday. She was so loved and had such an outpouring of support that her funeral was live-streamed for everyone to see. The angel in pink, as they called her, will never be forgotten. There is a bright pink cross at her final resting place. The overpass in Jackson County that goes over County Road 41 was renamed in her honor. Another beautiful thing that was started in her honor was the annual Finish Sydney's Run 5K. Proceeds from the run go to the Sydney Sutherland Memorial Scholarship for future students pursuing an education in the medical field at ASU Newport, where Sydney attended. In 2022, they started an annual two-week-long celebration of Sydney's life. They host a Miss Sassy pageant in honor of Sydney, who also did pageants when she was growing up. They would add the Finish Sydney's Run 5K afterwards. Then they also had kids' events, live music, and fireworks. Maggie wants this celebration to honor the way her daughter lived with grace and generosity. And that is the story of Sydney Sutherland. The moral of this story is women can never feel safe. The number of kidnappings and murders of women out on a run are extremely high. And it's sad that we as women can't go out on a run or a walk without the risk of someone taking advantage of us being out alone. I personally don't run in public for this reason alone, probably, because I obviously hear these stories a lot more than some of you guys. So I know how, but I mean, at the same time, I know how freeing a run can be. So people or women can still do it. It's just so scary. But after this case, it'll be a long time before I go out and walk or run outside, especially by myself. One thing I didn't add in the main part of the episode is a quote that Sydney shared to her Facebook page just one month prior to her murder. It read, quote, just know that if I'm ever murdered, I ran my mouth to the bitter end, which was just the kind of person she was because I could definitely see her doing that. But sadly, she was dealing with a huge coward who clearly hit her with his car on purpose. I do not buy the fact that this was an accident. I don't know if he wanted to knock her out or if he intended on killing her in that moment, but I don't think this was an accident. I believe he intended on harming Sydney and he had the perfect opportunity while alone on that gravel road with her that day. He's a sick and disgusting man. 
who knew exactly what he was doing. As always, I want to know your thoughts. So be sure to head over to the podcast Instagram or Facebook page and leave your comments about Sydney's case there. Please continue to keep her family in your prayers as they continue to grieve the loss of such a beautiful person. And that's going to do it for me this week, guys. I'll be back here in two weeks with the first Halloween episode of this season, which I am excited about. Be sure to like, follow, or subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and consider leaving a five-star review if you can. It just helps people find the show easier and it lets me know that you're enjoying today's episode or any of the episodes. (laughs) And then also be sure to let me know if you want a sticker. I've still got a few stickers left. Um, I think they were like $2, so not much. Just reach out. Let me know. I'll be sure to get that to you. And then be sure to check out my Wally Cases link. Um, I've got it in my link tree in my bio on, I think, Instagram. Should be on Facebook as well. If it's not, I'll be sure to post it there. So be sure to check out my link tree for any updates and any links or codes. Like I said, if you click the Wally Case link, you get 10% off or 5% off, something like that. So check that out and use my code if you are looking for a new phone case or any kind of Apple accessory. I think they got some Apple watches and definitely some phone cases and a couple other things. So keep an eye out there. But until next time, stay safe, guys. Bye.